sorry I don't love you A fresh I've grown accustomed to Cause with you if something isn't wrong Something isn't wrong Something isn't right Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back, as is Marjani Rawls. We are here to talk about Black Panther today, and this is a movie I was lucky enough to see on its opening day on Friday with MoviePass, so I was, you know, getting one of the very last seats in the theater, pretty much. When did you go see this, MJ? I went to go see it Friday night with a friend. Um, It was one of my my movie theaters that I live in. To they have an IMAX theater with 3D and it's literally never full. Like it, it's kind of full, but like it wasn't as packed as it was for that night. It, it was not only packed, but there were like generations of people. Like it was kids bringing their parents and then their grandparents for some and like some instances, and it was packed. Basically, every seat was was packed by the time showtime. Like, yeah, I think when I got to the theater, there was one seat left in the third row and the rest were first and second row seats. So I just picked the third row one because I didn't want to be like so close that I couldn't see the entire screen. But because theaters have upgraded a lot now, and at least the ones by me, they all have like the recliners, basically. So it's like the rows are much larger than they used to be. They're like twice the size that they used to be. So it wasn't as close as I thought it was going to be. So it it was still a good experience. Yeah, we uh, we actually got we got seats that were. I mean, they weren't quite in the middle, but they were kind of off to the right a little bit, like a little bit in the aisle. It was actually yeah. it was a good seat. Like you, we were able to see like everything and whatnot. Like you don't want to get those like first row seats where you're cramped and you're like looking up. Yeah, at the screen. That was my main concern with the third row, because it's like the first three rows are grouped together, and then there's the handicap seating, and then the rest of the seats in the theater by my house. So it was one of those things where I was a little worried about it, but I would have just gone to see it again if I didn't get a great view that first time. But luckily, it was fine. And, you know, with MoviePass, that's the nice thing, though. You can just show up, and if you don't get a seat you like, you could just either go again the next day or whatever. But... I did not have to do that, but I want to dive in here. And this wasn't an origin story, which is nice, too, because I feel like sometimes when certain characters get solo movies, they end up doing a full on origin story. But we had already seen the Black Panther in Captain America Civil War. So we already knew a tiny bit about him. But this sort of just picked up where that left off essentially he was dealing with the death of his father still which we saw happen and it was really refreshing to just get this storyline that continued but didn't exactly tie into the rest of the marvel films yeah i think that that was kind of one of my i hate to like jump on dc for a little bit that was kind of one of my uh qualms about uh, batman versus superman because with Batman, they just went into like the origin story. Like I think we know how his parents died and how how they got gunned down. With this, it picks up right after Civil War. Yeah. So, you know, T'Challa doesn't even have a chance to catch his breath. Essentially, he's king. T'Chaka is dead by you know the terrorist attack from Claw. So you're jumping right in, and it feels like that you. I mean, if you wanted to do, you know, background, you could have did it like before the movie, but it feels like you kind of already, you kind of already know him a little bit. Like you already, like, it feels like, all right, well, I got acquainted with him. I kind of saw a little bit of what he was about in Civil War. I mean, he's, Marvel has a good way of uh, showcasing certain, like when they bring in a new superhero, showcasing them to the point where when you do the standalone, um, you already feel that you're kind of a part of the story so they kind of went into it assuming that you already you already knew what you wanted to know from black panther and it actually felt refreshing it felt like you know marvel assumed that a lot of people were you know smart and they they kind of did their own research and whatnot and even if you didn't totally know the origin of 
Black Panther, this still gave you a sort of quick glimpse on how the culture works there and how someone becomes king because we see everyone have the chance to challenge him before he's really, you know, officially king, basically, in Black Panther. So it was one of those things where you weren't getting a full on origin story, but you still learned more during the movie. Oh, yeah, you definitely get the sense of uh, the how big Wakanda is, uh, you know, within like what, what the world thinks it's this little African impoverished African nation. It's actually a very large advanced city. And even with that, there's still like, what, like how you mentioned uh, African culture. So, you know, T'Challa is the assumed King because, you know, the lineage and whatnot, but, other tribes get to challenge him for it. Like, uh, he doesn't even have time to celebrate, essentially, when M'Baku comes and fights him for, you know, the crown. Right. Um, it it kind of sucks because, like, he's still young and he's still, he, even though the thing is with uh, King, it would be, I guess being a king or even being a leader, you can prepare for it all your life. You can have people mentor you, but there's nothing like uh, being on 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 the job training. And throughout the movie, T'Challa learns that it's way different being something than grooming to be something. Right. And I'm going to want to talk about the cast specifically here in a minute, but I just want to do a quick overview, too, of what the rest of the movie is about, because that part happens more in the beginning. But you sort of have two big villains in this, because you have Ulysses Claw, and then you have Killmonger later on. But Claw is sort of really just threatening to tell all of Wakanda's secrets, basically. And that's where Black Panther comes in and... You know, Killmonger actually is the one who takes Claw away and keeps him from being able to reveal those secrets of Wakanda. And that's because Killmonger has his own agenda of what he wants to do in and with Wakanda because we find out later. And obviously, spoilers for anyone who is listening to this, please go watch the movie before finishing this podcast. But Killmonger wants to take over the throne because he is basically Black Panther's cousin. So his uncle had been living in Oakland, California, and we see flashbacks to that and what happened there between T'Challa's father and his own brother. So it's one of those moments where, you know, Claw is a very certain kind of threat, but then Killmonger, he actually has this rational reason for wanting to be in Wakanda because in his mind he has a right to challenge T'Challa for that place on the throne because he is also part of you know the royal bloodline what I felt with Claw um Claw's problem was I mean he's a arms dealer but he feels like uh that Wakanda especially with the vibranium that they didn't deserve it that was kind of like his main thing that um, there's this hypocrisy with Wakanda that they have like this big, um, like this technology and they just don't share it and they kind of keep it for themselves. So he goes and, and steals it and, and, and then tries to sell it within the world. Killmonger is interesting though, because a lot of people have, you know, done comparisons to him to Magneto. There's been some to the Joker. He's he's one of those villains where you kind of see, like you said, you kind of see where he's coming from. Right. Okay. So T'Chaka essentially kills his brother uh, Najobu. He's played by Sterling K. Brown. Right. He's he doesn't speak about it, and he essentially just leaves him in, in California. He just leaves him leaves him there by himself to discover his father dead. And Killmonger not only is, you know, the worst kept secret for basically for for himself, he's essentially the embodiment of Wakanda uh, forgetting about, you know, the plight of black people around him. 
you know, not sharing the the technology they have to kind of better, you know, the racial inequality and whatnot, and, and just kind of forgetting the world and, and engaging in this isolationism. So at first, you're like, yeah, you know what, Kill, Killmonger does have a point. You know, you killed my father, you just left me there. Uh, like, why? It's, it's one of those lines where, all right, who's the villain? And now T'Challa is understanding that in leadership that not only do you have to deal with current problems, you also have to deal with uh, the problems that are left over that his father. And essentially, Wakanda is kind of built on a lie and it's been maintained that line for years. Yeah, exactly. And. Before we dive into a more general discussion, you mentioned Sterling K. Brown, so I just want to mention quickly here the rest of the cast, because this cast is stacked. It's very stacked. You have Chadwick Boseman returning as Black Panther, Michael B. Jordan as Killmonger, and then just to run down the names here, you have Lupita Nyong'o, Denai Guerrera, Martin Freeman, Daniel Kaluuya, Letitia Wright, Winston Duke, Angela Bassett, Forrest Whitaker, and Andy Circus. I could probably keep going because there are probably some more familiar names here, but that is a very, very stacked cast, in my opinion. And I think they did a really great job finding perfect fits for these actors and actresses. And this is a movie where, you know, it's a male lead, but he is surrounded by all of these women who play such important roles in his life. And you have Shuri, who is his sister his little sister and she's basically like the tech guru of wakanda and i think you know they just had personalities that fit these characters so well too yeah definitely um speaking about the women uh there is there are basically four types and especially when you talk about representation there are four types of of black women that you get to say like you mentioned shuri she's the technological mind behind wakanda uh you have a koye who is the head of the door uh Mijale, that's basically the special forces she's the warrior uh you have angela bassett who is the queen mother of wakanda who's basically you know the wisdom and the nurturing sign from for t'challa and then you had you know nakia who is the you know the love interest of T'Challa, but she's also a person who is a spy and doesn't want to just assume the role of just being at T'Challa's side. You know, she she doesn't want to be you know just that like that figurehead stuff. She wants to engage. She wants to do something. So to see you know those four types, it, it means a lot. It it actually helps the movie forward like the driving force in black panther like you said of course like you know you have the male figures but the driving force is women yeah and it's great to really see the relationship between t'challa and nakia because they have this past relationship that is sort of stuck with both of them and then you can tell he wants her to stay but he knows that she has this bigger sense of purpose and he doesn't want to necessarily hold her down so by the end of the movie he comes up with this plan so that she can stay but still get what she wants and you know maybe he wants her to stay for selfish reasons because of how he feels about her but it's one of those things where you know he's king and he could probably just order people to do things if he really really wanted to but he understands the importance of not doing that and keeping these people close to him because he knows just how much good they're capable of doing well i feel that their relationship is kind of a like a microcosm of basically the monarchy that gets challenged in black panther Uh, like you said that you know, Nakia is not just going to stay by his side and just kind of live out her days as a queen that's just like a figurehead and and just stay in Wakanda. She wants to actually go out into the world. And that's one of the lessons that T'Challa has to learn that, 
you know, not everything is going to be like how his father was. Um, you know, Black Panther is very on the job training. It, it, he, he, he gets his, you know, belief system challenged almost instantaneously. So, you know, with each of the characters and stuff like that, they play a small role in that. They um, show that something has to change, especially with uh, his relationship with uh, Wakabi, who's like his best friend, who I would say kind of turns on him. Yeah. He gets tired. He he sees that, you know, T'Challa is basically going to go the same course as his father, especially when he doesn't apprehend Claw. And he sees Killmonger comes, not only kills Claw, but he comes and he promises, all right, we're going to do something different. So he, he instantly, you know, goes with him. And at that point in the movie, you're like, can you blame him? Yeah, it's one of those things where it goes back to the idea that Killmonger does have a pretty good point that he's making. Wakanda has all of this technology that they could be using to help people. And even though, you know, Killmonger doesn't have necessarily the right goal in mind for the end, because he just wants his people to sort of take over and start ruling the world, which is pretty much not what T'Challa wants at all. So even though he could definitely make life better for some of these poor groups of people all around the world, he knows that a lot of what Wakanda has could also be used the wrong way, a lot of the technology and weapons and everything. And so he sort of has this moral dilemma that he's going through, and we see him sort of work through that all the way through to the end of the movie. And I do want to point out one thing that is kind of a downside with the Marvel movies because of this and Infinity War coming out so close together. It's like, it doesn't make that moment where Killmonger throws him off like the edge of the waterfall quite as powerful because you know he's not dead because you've already seen him in the trailer for Infinity War. Oh, yeah, yeah, that that's a good point. I didn't even realize that. He's talking about, you know, getting Captain America a shield. And, uh, but, I mean, you could assume that Black Panther is not going to die. I mean, you can't. He's a major part. Well, I assume a major part of Infinity War and kind of major part of the MCU going forward. But I do see what you're saying. You're like, oh, well, you know, he just got thrown off a waterfall. But two (laughs) months later, I just saw him in Infinity War trailer. So there's no way he's going to die. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you see the family's reaction when that happens. And I was kind of sitting there like, no, guys, it's okay. Don't worry about it. (laughs) He's fine. (laughs) You just don't know it yet. (laughs) That's a good point. That yeah, I you know I didn't even think of that. That's an actually very good point. Like <laughs> the suspension of disbelief for people who are paying attention, like you, they're like, oh, he, we'll see him in a couple months anyway. So like, yeah, and it's one of those things I didn't necessarily think right in that moment, but it was sort of in the back of my mind. I was like, all right, well, obviously he's not dead, so you know they're <laughs> not going to kill him off in the very first Black Panther movie after seeing him only partially in civil war so it's one of those things where you know obviously marvel definitely has something very good going for them with their slate of movies and everything but then sometimes you just get these things you're like well if you weren't releasing so many at once you could space this out (laughs) a little and have it work slightly better but you know to still see his family have that reaction in the moment, you're kind of like, I feel bad for them, but I kind of know he's fine, and they'll figure it out at some point in the movie. Well, well, they did that with Thor Ragnarok. Um, when Thor loses his eye, uh, they in the first trailers they edited it out, and and in the movie, you're like, oh, well, he loses an eye. I, I didn't see that coming. So I, yeah, now I, I get what you're saying. I, I guess Marvel is just assuming like, well, we're not gonna kill T'Challa off you know, immediately. So right. I, I guess they didn't, yeah, they didn't, they were like, all right, well, they, they won't pick up on that, but <laughs> you did. So just a little bit, but like I said, it's not something that's going to ruin an entire movie by any means. It's just one of those little things that you notice when you've 
paid such close attention to some of the Marvel movies. And this reminds me, in the theater that I was in, in the post credit scene, there was a guy who was like, who's that? I was like sitting there thinking to myself, have you never seen a Marvel movie? <laughs> oh, are you talking about Bucky? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people, I, I think a lot of people who, there were, there were a lot of first timers who went to go see uh, Black Panther. So like, uh, this is kind of like their entry into the Marvel uh, cinematic universe. I know it's hard to believe because we're 18 movies in. Well, it definitely sounded like years. this guy had seen other movies because once someone told him, he was like, oh, yeah. It's like he just t- totally had a brain fart or something, and but that he ended up talking through the entire scene, basically, which luckily there wasn't too much going on because it was just one of those quick scenes to set up Infinity War, basically, and the fact that Bucky is, you know, still around because we saw him go there at the end of Civil War. Yeah, uh, I mean, Winter Soldier and Civil War, and I mean, he... I think Bucky is going to be an even more, I don't want to give it away, but like he's going to be a more important character going forward. Uh, But I think that maybe it's easy. I don't know because he's a, he's a, he is a major part of civil war. He's actually like (laughs) the guy that kind of is still the catalyst from winter soldier. I I don't know. Maybe I, I mean, I know, you recognize them. I did too. Uh, a lot of people were kind of confused with uh, the post-credit scene, but I mean, you know, it's definitely one of those things where if you haven't seen Civil War for whatever reason, it would probably make even less sense. But in a sense, I think that's sort of the movie that fans of Black Panther would have been most likely to see since the character did show up in that one. Yeah, I, I mean, I know, like, especially for a lot of older people, like this was the first. This is the first movie they seen, they saw, which is actually big because now if you're an older person and you saw something like this, especially I, I guess like for older for older people of color, now that you see that you know you have Black Panther and you see somebody like that on screen that that kind of like represents you and whatnot, now it opens you up into like this whole big universe. Now maybe you want to catch up going back to Iron Man you know, before you see Infinity War. Because a lot of people, because I feel like um, if you haven't seen any of these movies and you go and watch Infinity War, you're going to be lost. You're going to, yes. <laughs> you're not going to, like, you're not going to understand the heaviness and the urgency of what is going to happen. You know what I mean? Unless you, you'd watch all the movies and you've been following it. Because it feels like May is going to be a finality for this long stretch of movies that we basically had a decade of growing up with. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, we'll we'll talk about what's next for the MCU at the end of the episode, just so we can sort of roll into everything that they have coming, because, you know, Marvel is definitely still constantly, you know, working on that slate of movies. But to bring it back to the big portion of this film here it's when killmonger is taking over the throne he's already thrown t'challa off the edge of the waterfall there and you see right away you just see it in his eyes that he knows what he's there to do and he's going to get it done no matter what and you have his family sort of just scurrying to try and get away from him because they want nothing to do with him and they're still unaware that you know he's even still alive but Nakia she takes one of the little plants that you know gives you the black panther powers before killmonger burns the rest so he takes his and sort of just wants it for himself and then she's smart enough to take one with her because she feels like she either feels like he's still alive or she just knows that she has to have it so that someone can stop Killmonger from doing what he's going to do. Well, the problem with, okay, so where Killmonger fell off the cliff from uh, the sort of anti-hero to villain is because his plan, like you said in a little bit before, his plan didn't really have an end game. Right. His plan was, was to 
take Vibranium and all the weapons, and then he was going to arm, you know, all the poorer people and whatnot, and then overthrow, you know, like the, the capitalists and everything that way. And you know what? That's kind of honorable. But at the same time, there was no, there was no plan. And for, you know, him being, I believe he was one of the, he was a, a soldier and whatnot. You live in a world where you have uh, Hydra. Uh, you are going to have the scrolls soon. You had where the Avengers fought <laughs> aliens and whatnot. You can see, you see where weapons like that, when they fall into the wrong hands, all hell breaks loose. So Killmonger just kind of willy-nilly just armoring everybody. It's essentially the Wakandan technology is going to go in the wrong hands. Who's to say that, you know, the poor people, when they get it, other people won't get it. And it just breeds war. It doesn't, it's not going to breed peace. And if anything, it's going to just arm the next Killmonger. So he doesn't really think that through. And that's where the villainism comes in. Comes in. That's where, I guess, if you're going to make the Joker comparison, um, He's just kind of an agent of chaos. There's no plan. Like what, like the Joker said in the dark Knight, you know, I'm just the dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do if I caught one kill Margaret in that way. is like, all right, well I got this plan. I'm pissed. You know, my vengeance, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take over, but it's almost blind rage because it's like, what do you do after that? Okay. You take, you took over now. How do you ensure that, you know, these weapons don't get into the hands of, like, Hydra or somebody like that where, you know, you won't get any actions back? Yeah, plus, you know, he's still really an outsider because even though he is of Wakandan descent, he grew up in Oakland, lived there his whole life pretty much, and then, you know, he went and joined this sort of special ops team that had this very specific goal and he was very very good at what he did which was killing people which is how he got the name Killmonger and you know he's not the only outsider in Wakanda at this point in time though because I do want to talk about Martin Freeman's character Everett K. Ross because he's someone who plays a role in the comics for Black Panther too because he's sort of his contact within the U.S. government and he ends up there because he takes a bullet for one of them back in Korea. So he has this bullet that has pretty much severed his spine and Shuri is able to heal him because of how advanced their technology is. So, you know, it was one of those decisions where he had to think quickly on what he was going to do. And he was like, well, he just took a bullet. So we're going to take him back to Wakanda because I know that's the only way he can survive. And, you know, sort of like, he's one of the good ones. He's not going to just turn everything over that he sees in Wakanda right away. I feel like Ever, uh, Ever K. Ross is uh, kind of like the embodiment of Wakanda as a whole kind of opening up to the world. Right. If this was T'Chaka, you probably would have left him to die. You know what I mean? Just to kind of preserve... You know, we, we, we don't do that. We don't, you know, we would love to help the guy, but we have to preserve, you know, the separation of Wakanda from everybody else. Kind of in a split decision, whatnot, T'Challa brings him back where, you know, he he's healed. He's looked after. Shuri kind of, you know, repairs his spine, which is amazing, whatnot. And he actually plays, you know, an intricate role in, you know, the siege of Wakanda and, and actually stopping the, the weapons from getting across the border. Um, this is actually, I mean, some people might see it as like a small, like a moment, but wherever K. Ross plays and whatnot and how he helps them. And he's, he's all, like you said, he's also an outsider. It shows that Wakanda is changing. Like Wakanda now is becoming instead of like this little nation that that is keeping to itself, it's actually broadening itself, and you know the secrets out, and it's prepared to kind of take the world stage and let more people in. 
the thing with Agent Ross, too, is that, you know, they crossed paths in Korea because T'Challa was looking for the vibranium that Ulysses, Ulysses Claw stole, and he was going to sell it on the black market, basically. And it just so happens that the CIA is who he was selling it to because he didn't care. He would just sell it to the highest bidder. And that's why Agent Ross was in sort of the, the backroom casino. And that is where we see him, Nakia, and Okoye basically going undercover, so to speak, to get it back. And then all of a sudden, Claw has this crazy arm that turns into this giant gun, basically. <laughs> and it's one of those moments where Ross is definitely in over his head because he isn't quite as aware of the technology that Claw has as T'Challa is because it came from Wakanda. So he's sort of the only one who really knows what they're going up against. And, you know, Ross still has this sort of bravery about him in that moment when he takes the bullet when they're back in their interrogation room area and everything like that. So he's definitely a character. He brings some levity to it as well, because, you know, he when he wakes up in Wakanda, he's like, where am I? And then he sort of just is looking around like a kid in a candy store. And he just kind of wants to know what everything is. And then you see him later again after that, still try and save the day. And he kind of does because he is in the aircraft simulation flying the plane because he's basically the best pilot they know so even though he's not a part of the culture of wakanda and everything he still has this nobility about him that i think t'challa really respects and that's why those two characters even though they might not see eye to eye on everything they are at least cordial enough to work through it and get along and have sort of the same fight for good well, yeah, if you remember, they didn't have the the most rosy relationship. Uh, they were arguing on who would have custody of Claw. Yeah. Uh, Ross is like, no, he's going back to the FBI. Uh, T'Challa's like, no, he's coming back to Wakanda, and he, he's going to face this there. Uh, a, a cool moment is that when Ross was kind of doubting himself, especially like, like, dude, you have to fly, <laughs> you have to fly the plane, or I guess the virtual kind of reality plane, which was actually really pretty cool. And they were like, and they were like, no, you have to do it. It would not. And it kind of helped him get back to you know, being a fighter pilot and stuff like that. And even though he's in the FBI, he actually helped save Wakanda. You know what I mean? He had, he, he preserved them showing Wakanda on their terms, because if those if those weapons went across the border, then all hell presumably breaks loose, and who knows who's going to get them, whatnot. Even though, you know, spoiler alert, you know, Killmonger dies soon, soon after, the cat would have been already out of the bag, and they wouldn't be, you can't necessarily put that right back in. Yeah, and speaking of Killmonger dying, why don't we go ahead and talk about this big battle that he has? Because T'Challa comes back and is like, hey, I'm not dead yet, so you're not king yet, basically. And it's one of those moments where you mentioned Wakabi having flipped over to Killmonger's side already by then, but he convinces a good majority of the population to stand with him and sort of expand what Wakanda is doing and trying to help other people and or in his case, sort of take over the world, basically. And then, so you have Wakabi and his soldiers, basically, going up against T'Challa as Black Panther again, because he does have his powers back and everything at this point. And then you have Okoye and her army of women. And they just totally start annihilating each other. And, you know, there are definitely losses on both sides and even Shuri gets involved in the fight so it's one of these all-out fight scenes and Marvel is pretty good at doing these I wasn't huge on the CGI rhinos but that's you know that's another minor thing where I just really wanted to see these 
people fighting each other. And then the rhinos come in and it's a little distracting because they're so ginormous in comparison. But overall, I thought this was a really well done fight scene because you're cutting to all of these certain groups fighting each other or these sets of people fighting each other. And when you have Shuri getting involved, you're like, okay, this is definitely out of hand if she is stepping up here and getting involved because she's typically behind the scenes making the tech and the suits and everything for them, not the one on the front line fighting. Well, um, in the comic, uh, Shuri actually becomes Black Panther. So, I mean, I I don't know if that's going to happen if they do a sequel or whatnot. But um, the fight scenes are actually well done. Uh, and it's from, you know, the the tribal fight scenes where T'Challa, you know, loses power to fight for the kingdom. Uh, there's that Booskin car chase that was actually pretty cool. Yeah, th- and, that was re- very well done. I really enjoyed that scene. And uh, the final one where uh, it's... Uh, Everybody, it's it's the door of uh, Majele fighting Killmonger, and then you have Mbaku who comes later and, and fights fights there and whatnot. It, it's it didn't feel okay. So what Marvel movies and their big fight scenes, and if you saw this with like Civil War or whatnot, everybody kind of has their moment. Like it. <laughs> It doesn't feel overwhelming. Like everybody has like their their, I guess their time to shine. Uh, there's a moment where with Wakabi and Okoye, they're actually they're actually love they're actually married, and he goes to her and she he charges at her with one of the rhinos and she just kind of like drops her staff and the rhino just stops and respects her yeah yeah and um he goes off and he asks her he's like you would kill me my love and she's like anything for wakanda and he just kind of drops down and that was a powerful moment because if you know okoye is all about country all about country she's very prideful nationalistic in, in wakanda right so, so it it breeds the idea because as they're trying to escape Wakanda, she stays behind. She's like, no matter who the king is, I still have to serve. Right. Like this is I serve the country. I don't serve the king. And then it grows into, you know, as Killmonger is doing what he does, and T'Challa comes back. She's like, well, T'Challa is the kingdom, so I serve him. So. Now Wakanda has grown instead of just kind of like this faceless uh, idea, it turns into the heart of a person. So I love that. I I got to see that growth. Um, Another thing, and especially it kind of goes along with the fight scenes, Ryan Coogler does. And if you saw Fruitville station, especially if you saw Creed, he does this thing where, there are different storylines, um, especially with Creed, with Adonis and Rocky and whatnot. They have two major battles, and each of their fights feels important, even though Adonis is really the main character. It felt like that in Black Panther. T'Challa's the main guy. You know what I mean? Like it, everything kind of runs around him, but right. everybody had their, but everybody's fight or everybody's conflict all felt important and that's very hard to do when you have uh so many characters and so many uh, you know great actors and actresses um and able to do that in two hours and 14 minutes and it all makes sense yeah and one of those characters we haven't talked about at all yet is Forrest Whitaker's Zuri and even though he still sort of looks like his character from rogue one you know because he's sort of dressed the same way almost he is very noble in this movie because he sacrifices himself trying to save t'challa because it's his fault in his eyes that you know njobu is dead because he was the one who was in oakland with him and was spying on him for t'chaka so you have 
this guilt that he feels too, because he knew that the kid was left behind and he was the only one who knew. And he tells T'Challa the story before he goes to fight Killmonger. And it's just one of those moments where his character really gets his sort of 10 seconds to shine and do, or at least try to do the right thing. Zuri is, he's not only like the, uh, the tie in for T'Chaka to T'Challa. Uh, he's also kind of like the spiritual figure. He's like the religious figure. Um, if you notice in black Panther, there's a lot of, um, African rituals and especially, with uh sort of like ancestry uh keeping in touch with your spiritual side and an- ancestors and, and rituals in that way it, uh, it also um opens up the astral plane which actually is going to be a big factor in infinity war um and the heart-shaped herb which like we mentioned that they they use the final one before Killmarger uh, burns them all down uh he's also you know the embodiment of the embodiment of the secret like like you mentioned he was he was there when tachaka killed Kilmonger's father so he also aids in keeping this uh wakanda thing where you know you have to in order to to keep everything the way it is we have to kind of gloss over what happened and he well, and he ends up dying for it because Killmonger kills him. So, absolutely. And I think what was really surprising with this film too was, like you said, how well they balanced each of these storylines that Ryan Coogler put in place for all of the various characters. Because, you know, people like you and I, we went into this movie knowing who Black Panther was. We know he's the king of Wakanda. We know what happened to his dad. We sort of have this very brief backstory from watching Civil War. And to get all of these supporting characters just adds so much to the culture of Wakanda. It was really great to see that come together at the beginning of the movie and then everything that they had to go through by the end of it. Well, yeah, well, yeah especially in uh, T'Challa's journey. Except like the T'Challa, T'Challa had to unlearn everything to the point where, where he almost dies and he sees his father in the astral plane. He resents him. It's like, yeah. well, well, why did you do this? Like, why did Killmonger actually has a point? Why would you just leave him? There's a line in the beginning where T'Chaka says to T'Challa, uh, you have a great heart, and I guess like, and you're very kind. But that doesn't necessarily make into a great king. By the end of the movie, you find out that you have to have, especially being a king, you have to have um, this sense of purpose. But you also have to balance it with empathy. T'Chaka did not, he didn't really do that. He had empathy for the people of Wakanda, but there were people like Killmonger who were just you know, kind of left off. And it, as long as Wakanda was was fine, it didn't really matter to T'Chaka. Now you, you find T'Challa who sees that there's a broader world, there's a broad world out there with a lot of people, a lot of, you know, African-Americans that, that look like him and stuff like that, that need, need guidance and need a positive role model. And they end up taking that further. They ended up sharing, you know, the Wakandan technology going to the UN and whatnot and taking it center stage. He also does that uh, with M'Baku. They're able to put their differences aside and come together for the greater threat of fighting off Killmonger. Yeah, one of the things we haven't touched on just yet is the one-on-one fight between Black Panther and Killmonger, too, when they sort of fall down the air shaft there i guess you could call it because it's where a lot of their planes dock and everything so basically they fall down through the docking station and they end up fighting on the 
train tracks, essentially, the floating train tracks, because they have their anti-gravitational whatever it is. I don't know. It kind of went over my head at some point <laughs> because it's so advanced there. But these two, they're fighting. They're both in Black Panther suits. And of course, Killmonger is sort of in the flashier one with the gold accents and everything because Shuri put together three different suits. And the one that Black Panther has on is sort of the most subtle of the three and Killmonger has on the flashier one. So you sort of just, even in the costume selection or the suit selection, you get this difference of personality that is very obvious right away just from that. And to see these two fighting one-on-one, -on -one, Killmonger obviously is you know, a bigger build than T'Challa is. And he has all sorts of military experience, but it's T'Challa's will to just not give in to this guy that really puts him at the advantage. Well, they, uh, everything is, is pretty much different uh, about, you know, Killmonger. They differentiate him and his score. They differentiate him and his accent. It's more of an American accent. And he talks more, you know, like somebody who comes from Oakland instead of, you know, like with an African accent and I guess speaks proper or whatnot. He is basically the, you know, he's the update. He's the disruption. He's a, a, the personification of disruption in a human that comes and tears down the fabric of you know, Wakanda and their isolationism. There's a line that he has that is really powerful. And he says, bear me in the, this is before he dies, bear me in the ocean with my ancestor who jumps from ships because they knew death was better than bondage. Right. That's that right there is basically who he is. Um, you know, Wakanda basically had this, you know, this pact, you know, uh, will, We'll do this. You don't attack us. We're not going to fight wars and whatnot. Killmonger knows, basically knows what bondage is because he's living outside in a society that has racism, that has, you know, things like police brutality and stuff like that. And, you know, problems that black people face every single day. And, you know, people who live in Wakanda, who live in this bubble, doesn't really understand that. So Killmonger as a villain, I don't really I don't really know if you could really call him a full villain, but you understand where he's coming from. At that point, um when he dies, you're like, ah man, like I really kind of wanted this to kind of go another way because right. you know he pushes T'Challa to change. So in in some way by his disruption, he actually does a good thing. They let the two characters have this moment at the end, too, where, you know, he sort of takes him over to this area where he can see the sunset in the distance, basically. And, you know, he's already been stabbed at this point. So we already have this idea that Killmonger isn't going to make it. But it would have been interesting to see how they could have kept this character around had they saved him basically because if you can save agent ross from you know having a severed spine essentially and you don't save killmonger from a stab wound it's just one of those things where in that sense it seemed a little off but i feel like if you kept him around i don't know if killmonger would have necessarily come around to the idea of just helping people instead of letting the people take over and it's definitely a fine line when it comes to just killing off villains or you know putting them away and throwing away the key basically here's the thing though i i don't think that he stays dead okay um if you if you look at the comic people in the black panther universe don't necessarily stay dead there are herbs and stuff and rituals that bring people back from the dead, Killmonger included. So I I don't think this is the last that we're going to see. Now, with Marvel's track record, they tend to kill off the good villains that they have 
little prematurely. Yeah. Look at Ultron. Ultron was what we thought was going to be this huge villain that, you know what I mean? But he did, but he dies at the end. You're like, ah, what, what? Okay. You built this guy up. Loki's still alive. You know what I mean? He's still kind of like the thorn in her side. He's going from, all right, let me help them to, all right, let me just be Loki. I don't necessarily think that Killmonger is going to stay dead. I mean, you could also do, I guess in the future, you know, Namor as a villain. Uh, you could also, Fox is coming back. So you can also do a thing where you do Dr. Doom. I've actually been like a huge advocate of that. I, I don't know if that's going to happen, but for a, a sequel, you, you could definitely bring Killmonger back. Uh, you know, Wakanda, there's a lot of secrets and there's a lot of ways where you could bring characters back. So sure, you know, bring him back. That is true. Is there anything else that we haven't specifically hit on for the movie that you want to discuss before we sort of dive into what's next for the MCU? Oh, no, I, I like I said, like I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot of the time. I'm a big fan of Ryan Coogler. Um, I know there are talks of bringing him back for a sequel, and I really hope they do. I really hope that they just kind of throw a bunch of money at him and do like a trilogy or whatnot like that. Um, Chadwick Boseman is signed to a five-film deal, deal with Marvel, so Civil War, Black Panther, Infinity War is going to be three. So there's two more movies that he's going to be in. So, well, I, I guess the other Avengers movie and maybe a Black Panther sequel, it was really well done. They Marvel needed, especially with how big Infinity War was, they needed a movie just like Black Panther to kind of catapult them into what that would be. And Black Panther succeeds in being a great film and being a, a great film for diversity and, and people of color. But not only that, but like it's a broad movie that everybody can enjoy. People of color and also Marvel, you know, Marvel fans, they could take something from it. Everybody can take something from it, especially in the times that they're at. They're in there are a lot of lessons. in there. Absolutely. So Marvel, as far as the properties that Marvel Studios themselves are working on right now, you know, they have Black Panther just come out in February and Avengers Infinity War is coming in May. And then Ant-Man and the Wasp is coming in July, and I believe that's all that Marvel Studios has coming this year. There are obviously, you know, like Fox and Sony properties in the works and everything, too, but it seems like the releases are a bit closer together for 2018, so then it's going to feel like we have this long gap between, you know, Ant-Man and the Wasp in July, and then I believe after that it's going to be captain marvel in 2019 and the second avengers movie after infinity war and then after that i we have the spider-man homecoming sequel yeah so yeah you're right um wow uh infinity see here's the thing um infinity war is two months away maybe are you are you looking forward to ant-man and the wasp because i feel like Coming off Infinity War, it's going to feel like, whoa. You know what I mean? Like Because Infinity War, a lot of stuff is going down. Right. I, I get that everybody's feeling good with Black Panther and stuff like that. But, like, Thanos is coming to, to wreck shit, basically. Uh, to the tune of a lot of characters that we grew up with are probably going to die. So, I mean, looking... Beyond, you got Ant-Man and the Wasp, you got Captain Marvel, then you have the final Avengers film, and then Spider-Man Homecoming is going to propel us into, I guess, Phase 4. Right. And then you have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. But I don't know what they're going to do after that. They apparently have three movies slated for 2020, but we don't know two of them. I don't know now that they kind of if the if the sales finalize if they're kind of waiting and seeing if they can use you know those fox properties uh i mean i know me and you have talked about it like we want 
a proper Fantastic Four movie. Yes. Like a real one. <laughs> like not the, you know, Jessica Alba ones or even the, the one that shall not be named from Fox, but like a proper one with Galactus and Doctor Doom and Reed and Sue, like a proper one. And I don't you don't know what's going on with X-Men because we have an X-Men movie this year. We have Dark Phoenix. New Mutants got pushed back till next year. Allegedly, they are still going with Gambit, even though it's been pushed back for years. Yeah. I don't know if they lost like their third director on it. That's that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of direct. Where do you think that they go with that? Like, where do you do you think that they go with Secret Wars? Do you think they go with the Scarlet Witch storyline where she kind of loses her mind and like alters reality? Where do you think they're gonna go? You know, I think it's really hard to answer that not knowing where exactly they're going to end up with Infinity War just yet, because we don't know exactly who is still going to be around. We could see, you know, Bucky or Falcon become the new Captain America if they choose to kill off Chris Evans' Captain America. So it's definitely one of those things where I think they probably aren't announcing too much because, you know, like with Black Panther and knowing that he was going to be alive just because he appears in Infinity War, you don't want to necessarily plan out all these movies so that we know who survives Infinity War too far ahead of time. And you mentioned Ant-Man and the Wasp. And for me, I feel like that movie, while it's living in the MCU, it's sort of like Guardians of the Galaxy, where it really takes you outside of the MCU at the same time, much like Black Panther just did too, because, you know, Ant-Man was definitely along the funnier lines like you have those moments in guardians and i know they try to put jokes into every marvel movie basically especially too with spider-man homecoming but it's one of those things where certain movies are just going to be inherently more serious because of who the villain is and what exactly is going on but with ant-man it's one of those things where i feel like that movie is more to continue focusing on the relationship between Ant-Man and the Wasp. So how much it actually affects the MCU, we'll have to wait and see. I just know that there's a giant Hello Kitty Pez dispenser from the trailer, which I didn't know I needed in my <laughs> life, but apparently we need that because that's kind of great. So I really do think we'll have to wait and see after Infinity War because personally, I don't want that movie spoiled by them announcing movies for 2020 yet. So it's... A fine line that Marvel has to sort of walk for the next couple of months here because you don't want to just be like, oh, hey, uh, Chris Evans signed an extension on his deal. So obviously he doesn't die. Yeah. Um, Chris Evans and Leon Hensworth's deals are up. Yeah. Uh, so you actually make a good point that announcing those two in 2020 movies would probably ruin <laughs> like where they're going with Infinity War. Uh, so maybe they wait until after May 3rd, 2019 to kind of announce where they're going. Because apparently from Kevin, Kevin Feige, they got like 20, 30 movies already in production, ready to go, which is uh, in contrast to DC, where DC's announcements is, oh, well, we got a new vice president. Yeah. Uh, maybe we're doing uh, Flash. Hey, maybe we'll do three Joker movies and whatnot. Hey, you know what? Um, maybe we'll do. On top of that, you want you like Harley Quinn? We're gonna give you three movies. They're not in production yet, but but that's what it sounds good. So um, Marvel actually has a plan, and I'm sure they kind of know where this is gonna go. But I'm with you in that. I don't really want to. I don't want to know until the aftermath of Infinity War. Yeah, because we're all I'm pretty sure we're all going to be sad when such and such dies or whatnot. And, you know, by some miracle, Hawkeye survives. <laughs> <laughs> Thanos is going to get the Infinity Gauntlet and Hawkeye somehow is going to just walk out and be fine. So really, the only one that's sort of spoiled for us is Spider-Man, because we know the homecoming sequel is coming. So it's one of those things where that I don't necessarily mind so much because that's, you know, 
Marvel and Sony sharing the rights to that. So Marvel can't, they probably could dictate when Sony announces things, but it's sort of a little different relationship with that character because it's this shared property at the moment. And, you know, I am totally fine with Marvel keeping things close to the vest for now because DC has really had a problem with announcing things or having things leak and then having nothing come of them because you know earlier today actually we're recording this on thursday february 22nd it was announced that joss whedon is no longer on the batgirl movie so now that movie is in limbo and you know i really i really do want dc to succeed too it's not even that you know i don't like dc's movies as much as marvel's because i don't like the dc characters as much i possibly like a lot of the dc characters more than i like some of the marvel characters it's just that it really feels like they don't have total control over all of these things that are going on and i feel like they really should because you know marvel has figured out what works for them they know when to announce their movies when to drop trailers and dc it just seems like a mess right now with everything they've been announcing and it's like an overload and you're like okay sure dc these things sound good but how many of them are actually going to happen I, it's just i don't i don't know anymore um <laughs> Yeah, Joss is off the project. Not to knock him, because, you know, Joss has done some good stuff. But if you've seen Justice League, you probably know why. And maybe people at the WB actually watched watched the movie for the first time and saw how disjointed it was. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't get it. Me and you, we read and review comics, and you see the great storylines in DC and what they could do and whatnot, and it just can't get it together. Uh, we also, I'm, I'm going to give credit to Collider because I heard this, and we, me and you watch a lot of DC TV, too. There's nobody steering the ship in DC. So what they've said in Collider, and they should probably go to Greg Berlanti and tell him, here you go, here's our film universe, please get it together for us. Because yeah. if you look, if you watch... Because if you watch The Flash, Arrow, Supergirl, all that is amazing. And they do all these these crossovers and stuff like that. And it feels fluid. Like, their team up and them bringing Superman in is way better than Justice League. Which is crazy. And now with Marvel, it feels like me waiting for Infinity War, it feels like the finish line. It feels like that, like I've grown up with Tony Stark. I've grown up with, you know, Captain America. I've grown up with the Hulk. I've grown up with Thor. I've grown up with these characters. So I have an emotional investment on how the infinity war ends. You know what I mean? Like I've invested all this time, good movies. They've, uh, Marvel has built it up where, you're anticipating the next movie. Uh, I mean, like with after credit scenes and how everything tied together now it feels like, all right, well, this is it. Like, this is the big event. This is the payoff. We're finally getting the payoff. Right. DC is just like, all right, let's let, okay. Marvel is 18 movies in. All right, let's play catch up. Let's just throw uh, Batman. in. they like Batman. Let's just do this. And uh, Superman, uh, we don't really like him, but we're going to throw him in there. And Wonder Woman, that worked. All right. We got one. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, I don't know. Especially with the news you just said, uh, Joss is gone. Okay. What movies are in production? I don't know. Yeah. It's just one of those things where I feel like you and I could probably brainstorm all of these different, like, editorials on what DC could or should do. And I've actually written something about like the batman trilogy and everything already but yeah you wrote something really good about that which dc actually needs to read because they have matt reeves just kind of sitting and wanting to do a batman movie and nothing's happening and then you know ben affleck one day he wants to be batman the other day he's gone so we, <laughs> you know what we don't know yeah, well, thank you for that. I am glad you enjoyed the article. But, you know, Marvel hasn't been perfect, but they have this quality to their movies where even if you 
might hit a down movie and you know like something like age of ultron where it didn't hit as well as some of the other movies you still get this broad storyline that's continuing with each movie that they can build on for the coming movies and it's just something that i feel like with kevin feige they really figured things out early enough to where even if they have these low spots in the different phases it's still enough to keep sustaining more and more movies being built upon those so it's one of those things too where i think black panther hit a whole new audience too because of how important it was culturally and you know obviously there are probably going to be people who don't like it for this reason or that reason and you know that's their right they're kind of wrong but you know (laughs) whatever and you know they have so many characters they can build on and the fact that dc just can't get it together in the movie universe is it's more disappointing than anything else so you know right now i'm definitely looking forward to infinity war and even ant-man and the wasp and with dc i'm kind of like oh well we'll see what happens with these things yeah the one thing that dc has going for it is a strong female character it has wonder woman but it's so saddled in uh i don't even know what that now marvel is going to catch up to that now because you have the wasp coming up and then you have Captain Marvel. So they're going to cover all bases. And then I don't know where DC goes. Yeah, exactly. Well, like I said, you and I could probably brainstorm a whole series of articles on Marvel and DC movies in general. And, you know, one thing I do want to quickly mention here before we go is I want to tell you all to listen to the Black Panther soundtrack. You can listen to the score and the one that Kendrick Lamar co-produced, which is music from and inspired by Black Panther. Both are fantastic. Check those out. I'll have links and everything in the show notes here. But MJ, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this. I know you and I both wanted to see it right away. And I'm not typically huge on going opening weekend to see a movie, but this one, I was glad I was able to sort of sneak my way in there with movie pass and get to it sooner rather than later. Oh, yeah. No, thank you for having me. I know we leading up to this, we talked about like seeing it and we braved the crowds and and it paid off absolutely well that wraps up the discussion for today you guys can follow the podcast at geekdom pod on twitter welcome to geekdom on instagram that is something newer that i'm doing i'm trying to keep up with posting you know photos for the episodes every week that are related to the topic so you'll see something for black panther here if you follow us on instagram and we're at welcome to geekdom on facebook as well and if you just spread the word about this podcast that is All I ask, you know, get some more people listening to this. And as always, thank you all for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Take care.